Thanks for tuning in to a rare live edition of the Glossy Podcast. I'm your host, Jill Manoff, and today, Glossy and our Glossy Plus members are at Hervé Leger's showroom in the Empire State Building. Joining us are Michelle Otts, the brand's creative director, and Michelle Lafair Cobb, the brand's division head. Michelle joined Hervé Leger this summer, and she's already produced a collection that debuted ahead of New York Fashion Week last month. I wanted to first ask Melissa about her strategies to advance the brand since joining the company in 2018. And I also wanted to hear from Michelle about her plans to continue that trajectory with her design work. Welcome, Melissa. Thank you for having us. We're so happy to be here. So excited to jump in and chat. And thank you, Michelle. How are you? Hi. So let's start with you, Melissa. 2018. Well, this is a complicated company. You're a brand with under an umbrella. And how does Hervé Leger fit into centric brands where we are today? And also, where does Authentic Brands Group fit in? Sure. It definitely takes some getting used to. Um, But Authentic Brands Group owns the IP for Hervé Leger, and they license the ready-to-wear portion to us here at Centric Brands. It's not as complicated as it sounds. (laughs) I simplified it. But yes, that's how it goes. So they own the IP. They're great partners. um, And, you know, we produce the collection um, with their approval. And so it's a great partnership. Fantastic. And Hervé Leger's showroom is right around the corner. I would highly recommend if it's allowed doing a little peek. It's yes, so of course. good. It's so good. So yes, make a little trip. Um, tell me, since 2018, I'm seeing you, you, you've seen a lot of evolution with the brand. You've driven that evolution. What? How would you summarize it? Um, what, were, what have been the biggest changes in the last well, we've been through a pand- pandemic. We've been through a lot. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, when I joined in 2018, um, it was a great chance to take a heritage brand that was founded in 1985 and who'd seen two big, you know, kind of moments in the 80s with all the supermodels and then in the aughts again with all the celebrities, everyone from the Kardashians, um, you know, anybody who was anybody, Blake Lively, wearing the brand to then becoming kind of quiet. But everybody has a story about an Hervé Leger dress. They met their husband, they got divorced, or, you know, whatever it is, um, everyone has a story. So when I tell people, and I think Michelle's had the same experience, when you say Hervé Leger, there's always like a story that comes next. So it's a brand that, while it had gotten very quiet, it was still very relevant. And I don't think the name, um, you know, had been, you know, Uh, tainted that much, but I think it needed fresh eyes. So I really set about a three-year turnaround plan and focused on product, price, and PR. Um, Product-wise, I think there was a lot of redundancy in the product. They hadn't really advanced it. So really thinking about how we could add new silhouettes, make it more modern. You know, we went from a time where people were wearing skin-tight bandage dresses and sky-high Louboutins to like kind of the Zimmerman effect in a more ethereal, flowy way of dressing. So people just weren't used to dressing like that anymore. So how could we modernize it and really think about, you know, a new customer? And then price, you know, things had changed a lot in the market. So offering some opening price points, having those higher price points, but really, you know, a good, better, and best strategy and really being conscious of pricing in the market. And then PR. Um, It's a brand, like I said, always lived on the red carpet and needed some more sizzle. And it was hard. It took probably the first year I had a press agent who was 
you know, trying, sending things out week after week, month after month. And there was just nothing like no one wanted to wear the brand again. I ended up switching agencies to Carla Auto, who's a you know powerhouse in the industry, and they really believed in us. And together, we kind of held hands and said, like, how can we make this work? And you know, J Lo wore it, Gal Gadot wore it for her first TikTok. Law Roach started you know dressing his clients. So you know it was a slow build, but we like didn't give up. I had you know tasked the Carla Auto team with um, you know back at its height. You know, when Us Magazine, I don't know who's who remembers this, but when Us Magazine was in print, you know, every week they would have, you know, a red carpet splash or who wore it better. And Hervé was featured almost every week. And so, like, the sales director, you know, gave me the famous story that she would, like, photocopy it, send it out to all the retailers, and, like, reorders would just, like, fly in of people wanting whatever was on the red carpet. So I said to Carla Otto, I said, I want to be back in Us Magazine. So it took about three years. Um, and, you know, that means that at every event, we had to hire someone from Getty, Image, Getty to take images because they have to all be standing a certain way. And, you know, Us Magazine needs to be able to purchase them. So Madison, our marketing associate, was really uh, instrumental in helping us get there. And we ended up sending Carla Otto a cake with the the Us Magazine spread when we finally got it um, to show them. So it took a few years, um, but we did it. So those things were really integral in, you know, helping turn the business around. Um, And once we got there, you know, got into a better place, it was really about what's next. And that's where Michelle comes in. Tell me about this, because you think of Hervé Leger, and you mentioned the short and the tight. um, And that, at the time, was the definition of sexy. Do you still consider this a sexy brand. I'm wearing the brand and I tell you what, I got some attention. <laughs> um, but yes, is that, what are the, I guess there's a new definition of sexy, that's for sure. But how, how do you describe the brand in terms of the, the look, the feel? That is a good question for Michelle. Over to you, Michelle. Because I think what part of bringing Michelle on board was kind of changing that definition of sexy. And she has such a feminine point of view. So it's really more alluring than sexy, I think. But she's helping us redefine that. Absolutely. I mean, hi. Hey, Michelle. So coming on board with Melissa and a brand that, I mean, just has such a heritage Um, there was a lot to unpack. There's a DNA, there's a story. And I wanted to really bring, you know, they haven't had a female designer in in a really long time. And I wanted to just, as we call it, a reset, not a rebranding, that I wanted it to be alluring. I wanted it to be sexy. Um, And defining what sexy means, I think, you know, stretch and comfort have never you know, usually been synonymous with each other and just giving a new, like, perspective on the brand. That was really important for the collection and myself and, you know, the future of Hervé going forward. I think we talked in the past, Melissa, about you knew Michelle. <laughs> and I don't know if this was kind of like a wooing period or like you were trying. I've been wooing her for a while. <laughs> yes. Tell me about why she was such a fit. And well, why. it's Go interesting, ahead. you know, when you're in this industry, as many of you are, you know, you know, you know, you kind of circle around the same people. And so I, I remember Michelle's first collection, you know, picked up, 
you know, straight out of school. So, you know, Michelle has made an amazing career for herself. When I was at a brand, Eagle Azrael, we showed on the same day during Fashion Week. So I always saw her there. So I've just always admired her. Um, and, you know, we've talked in the past and like timing didn't work out. And I finally, you know, when I was thinking about like next steps for us as a brand, I was like, Michelle, how do we how do we finally land this plane and make this work? Um, because as she mentioned, like her stretch sensibility, that feminine viewpoint, I felt like was part of the next for us. You know, how can we get beyond just the bandage dress? That'll be our core DNA. We'll always have it. But how can we incorporate knit dressing, different silhouettes? inject some wovens, be a little crazy, um, but really expand that product offering. So we're not just dressing someone for one event that you have more in your closet from Hervé. It's not just about that one moment. Well, Michelle, you're so respected and iconic for fashion fans um, in the industry. Talk a little bit about your path to Hervé, um, like following Parsons. I know you went to Parsons um, and what got you here? Well, it's been a long journey. Um, you know, the industry is small, I always say this, and you never know when you're crossing paths. And it, it was a long journey to get here. But I think my career led me here. I think this is definitely a full circle moment. Um, you know, I went to Parsons, I came to New York, I had ambitions, started my own line with a partner, and eventually launched a second line um, under my own name. And I think everything led to this moment. And I think it it truly is my work and stretch in that femininity and everything. It was the perfect storm coming together where we could meet. And, you know, I always say this, you know, I did it with a partner. I did it for myself and now I can do it for a brand. And I love, what I love about Hervé is the history, the story, having it being female led. Our team is primarily female. It's such an iconic brand. There's so much to unpack. And and I, it's it's really been you know a very quick four months, yes. <laughs> and and she moves I, fast. <laughs> and I think that you know there's so much more to grow. Going from a brand like an independent label to a centric brands brand, um, I'm sure. Talk about that that change, and would you have been able to since from June to September? turn around a collection in a beautiful lookbook that is gaining a lot of attention in Vogue and such? Well, I mean, resources don't hurt. (laughs) I think, you know, having done a startup and build something from scratch, I mean, all your experiences lead to where you're going. And I think when you join something like this, and, and fashion moves fast regardless, so I think we're all used to that. Um, it's just the the nimbleness and the ability to pivot and the ability to move fast was something that you learn very quickly when you're working on your own or for yourself. So it's been, I would say, quite seamless to, to move in and, and actually have a structure and resources behind you. I mean, that's very different. I am having a reverse experience, um, um, having started something and then moving into something, you know, a more corporate structure. I feel like you guys, the way you talk, you're like, of one mind, but I hear a lot about the um, clash between the business side and the creative side and the compromises that must be made. Um, Tell me a little bit about how you work together. And um, yeah, Melissa, you want to talk about that? I think, you know, it's interesting because it's never has it been 
I think in the industry, you know, more everything's scrutinized differently. Retailers have different relationships with their brands. It's become very difficult. It's like a challenging landscape. Um, you know, they drop brands. They don't have enough room. You know, things are changing at a very rapid pace. So I think, you know, kind of working hand in hand together, the business and the creative is more important than ever. Um, you know, we're just getting started, but um, I think, you know, it's really about communication, you know, collaboration um, and information, you know, and that's something I have a great team here that like sends out selling reports that analyzes the data that shares things with the team um, and those help inform our decisions. So I think all of that's really important. And like I said, just that communication, things move at a really fast pace. As we know, calendars are tighter than ever. Um, so it's, it's really having those like milestone meetings and kind of working through those things together and a give and take, you know, if there is, something I need from a commercial perspective that isn't maybe the sexiest thing or, you know, feels redundant, but we, we need it. It's also like, you know, me making sure that they can take a risk and like, Hey, let's have those extra samples. Cause we're not quite sure how they're going to turn out or, you know, this might be the best thing ever. Or it might need a little work. So making sure that, you know, it goes both ways and feels mutual. Absolutely. It definitely needs to go both ways. I think, we're both in a unique position where, you know, with her, Melissa's background, I think, and my background, having started and run my own business, I think creatively, like, appreciating, like, the business portion of it, where I think there's a mutual respect where she totally understands the creative element and gives me that freedom and space. But I also understand having started a business from scratch and counted every penny and, <laughs> and, and, you know, it's not just designing all day. Right. So I think we speak, we, we definitely meet in the middle where we speak the same language and we know what e each person needs and then also enough room to breathe and, and own their own space as well. And I think that's very unique because I feel like that clash really comes when there's that wall and there isn't that, that communication right. and space also. And I think it's also, it's just nice to have a different perspective. Like I've spent, you know, almost six years living breathing, you know, this brand and you, you can kind of get tunnel vision. So it's nice to have someone come in and be like, oh, I didn't think of it this way. Perfect example would be, you know, Michelle, um, did the styling for the spring lookbook and I'm usually there and on set and I'm like, okay, I'm going to really like not micromanage anything, <laughs> let her do her thing. And so, um, I like come and look at the board and it's a spring collection and almost every look had like really black, dark tights. And I was like, oh, black tights for spring. It's like, do we think that's a good idea? And so I was like so nervous. So Michelle's like, well, you know, in working with this Natasha Royette, who's an amazing stylist, she's like, in working with her, she really wanted to like take the brand away from always being so much skin and, you know, legs. And so I was like, okay. Like I was just so nervous that it was going to look dark. It looked Amazing. And if you notice, I have black <laughs> tights on. So I've been influenced. Um, and sometimes you just have to trust. So it, it took me a minute. I was a little nervous, but 100% right. It made 
all the, like literally all the difference. And of course, like every celebrity poll, like Carla Otto was like, hey, can you buy some tights so that we set, so like Madison had to like, you know, buy extra tights to send out with the looks. So I stand corrected. Tights for spring, groundbreaking. So it's definitely, you know, like I said, it, you know, it's nice to have a different perspective and to like stop and, you know, kind of trust that there's more than one way of doing something. We're going to take a quick break. Stay with us. Tell me, um, you were talking about what's commercial and what's sellable. And on that note, just wondering, you're staying true to the brand's DNA. Was Is there also kind of a shift from like looking at your own customer data versus like, I'm not sure how many wholesale partners you're in, but like, was it formerly about a couple of years back, we heard a lot about like the self-portraitification of like fashion, like everybody wanted this like lace look that self-portrait was doing and everything started to look the same. Um, so I guess I'm asking about like the balance of data versus um, creative, which you addressed, but I want to say like, how do you say true to the DNA and what sells and advance it? You're just taking chances. You're listening, Michelle, more so to your instinct and throwing on the tights. Yeah. Yes. I mean, you always want to be respectful to the brand and the DNA, but you know, it's not about coming and rocking the boat. It's, it's, it's your perspective. You know, we've seen so many designers coming in, in and out of brands now. And I really think it's, it's about bringing your view and your perspective. That's why we call it a reset and not a rebrand. Um, and, and the potential for that and, you know, there's, there's always the commercial aspect that you have to think of. And I'm very fortunate to work with Melissa and a brand like this, because, you know, when you're independent, um, it is very instinctual, but you don't have the data, you don't have the resources, and it only helps you. You're more informed. You, The customer, I mean, you can reach so many more people. I mean, that's what attracted me to the opportunity as well. I mean, like, for as, as much as you want to say being independent, you would say your name and, you know, like the few people would know. But I mean, you say Hervé and every, you know, it comes with a lot. And I think, you know, balancing such a large business like that and working with a partner like Melissa where you have you know a partner that has grown the business has seen the business grow can feed that data and and I don't want to take away from the creativity of that but it is instinctual and it's always a balance that's it's what you're doing most of the time is finding that balance whether it's with your partner or in the design process and there are things that will feed your soul and things that you want to make but it, there is a balance where you need to serve the business and and there's a healthy way to do both wait in this not revamp. What, what is it? What is Re it? Reset. Thank you. Reset. 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 Sorry. <laughs> Reset. Is, is there like, um, does it make sense in a refresh to like have what I typically hear when a new designer starts? Like there's a studying and digging out of the archives and I'm, yes. I, I mean, that was going to happen no matter what. Yes. <laughs> they have the entire archive. I mean, and, and they're Amazing. in boxes because they're knits. So yes. you really have to dig. Um, <laughs> laid flat, but, um, I mean, everything from the Cindy, I mean, Google anything from the nineties, it's, it's there. It's really incredible. When the brand was owned by BCBG, um, before ABG, they spent probably two or three years 
you know, on eBay, collectors, models. I mean, they spent years amassing this, like, amazing. I mean, it's, it's like unreal. Um, so, you know, that was an amazing thing to be able to share with Michelle and as a designer to see these, you know, they were, many of them were made in Paris. They were couture. And like she said, they have Cindy, Christy, everybody's name on them. They're scandalously short. I mean, how people, <laughs> and they must, the size. I think they were like 14 like like inches. This big. Literally like, and you know, it's great. We have, you know, a visual archive, Carla Otto has that, you know, we just sent some, we often sending things to different celebrities. Cardi B wore one of the vintage samples um, last year. So it's really an amazing archive. And we do have, um, in 2025, we'll have our anniversary coming up. So we're, you know, working with ABG on maybe some potential plans for an exhibit or a book. Um, but there's a lot to work with, which is really exciting and a lot of amazing techniques to pull from. Wait, how many year anniversary? 35. Yeah, yeah 35. Fantastic. Congrats. Yeah. <laughs> it's coming. What's it going to say? What is selling? Are the I'm seeing some little bitty dresses. Like we we've written, written about this like night lux trend and everybody's ready to go out, but is it it's casual meets chic? What what do what, what do the girls want? I think what we're seeing right now um is it's really more like fashion, instinctual. Like we launched with Revolve. Um, we hadn't been on Revolve. We launched a few seasons ago. They're not selling like the $600 icon. They're selling the $1,800 fringe dress. So I think people are looking right now for something very special. Um, we still sell some of the day in and day out things, um, but I think special is really what's working right now for us. Yes. Who are your other retail partners? Our direct is a big focus. Yes. I think what's really great about this business is we're 50-50 wholesale direct to consumer. Great. So our wholesale partners, Neiman's, Saks, um, Net-A-Porter, Harrods, Selfridges, specialty stores. So really premier retailers. And then um, our dot-com business is great, you know, which is tough for a multi-brand site that doesn't have any ancillary products, no shoe, no perfume, nothing. We're just selling, you know, ready to wear. Um, so that business is quite strong. And then we have partner shops, so concessions within Bloomingdale. So we own the inventory, we staff the shops, um, so that falls under the DTC. So it's a really nice, healthy blend, I think, from yeah. also a finance perspective. Yes. Tell me about the concessions model. You're a fan. I am. I think, you know, it's, I be, think it's becoming more popular. It was definitely more of a European thing for a long time. Yeah. Um, I think if you can staff it appropriately and manage your expenses, I mean, it's really nice to be able to have your own shop. We have our own managers. They're really schooled on the product. I think, you know, right now retail is a little starved for good associates and enough people in stores. So we're able to control that. We have an amazing team that's here that does the planning and the buying and the reporting and make sure that, you know, those, you know, they're run like a mini store. So I think that's a real advantage. For sure. Michelle, I have to ask because you are not alone in this being a new designer at a prominent brand. Um, a lot of pressure. Who are just just saying? Um, but what would you say? Um, we saw a lot of very large fashion shows put on by these very new designers, and that really puts them. I mean, they're asking to be under the microscope and be and be judged, I guess. And how are they doing? What did they get it right? Um, your approach to Fashion Week. You did a lookbook. Um, it was beautiful. 
with some ties. <laughs> um, but anyway, first of all, do you think that it's fair? Like, do you, does, it, does it take a designer a good couple of seasons to put their spin on the brand? Um, I don't know. Like, why no fashion show? I'm asking a lot of questions here. But yeah, why a lookbook? And um, yeah, let's start there. Yes. Um, I thought the lookbook was really important for the brand. I think, like Melissa said, when there's such a long history with the brand and everyone has a moment that's frozen in time where they first heard of Hervé or wore it or became familiar with the brand and it's kind of frozen in their head, whether it's like posh with her like Bob and, you know, a YSL tribute or like Naomi. So I really wanted to set the tone. And post-COVID and then launching at Ox, I think that really gave everyone a moment to find their own path. And for better or worse, COVID got people to think in different ways, present in different ways. Social media didn't basically didn't exist when I started my career. And I think visuals are so important, especially in the social media landscape. And it was a way for our brand to compete in a space that we were able to tell our story. I think visuals are very quick. And it would allowed me to put her in an environment, show her styled in a different way, and really reset the tone. And I think that was far more effective by a lookbook um, at this moment than, you know, doing a presentation or a runway, which can, you know, we if we've all seen, can be very quick and very fleeting. So I thought this was a great opportunity to reset like the visuals and who this woman was, modernize her and show her in that light. Yes. To spend on the creative, it makes for a beautiful Instagram. Did you wipe the Instagram clean? No, I, which <laughs> she wouldn't <laughs> imagine. No, she, no, I'm, I, I did not go that far, <laughs> but she made it look much better. Yes. yes. Not better, yeah. but she put her spin on it. Um, and I think, you know, I, we've done a few presentations. So, again, when Michelle was like, oh, let's do a lookbook instead of a presentation, I, you know, was a little nervous. And, again, have to trust. Um, and it was 100% the right decision. I mean, we haven't been reviewed by Vogue in probably three or four years because they consider us more of a dress brand. So, you know, Carla Otto obviously reached out to the team at Vogue and they said, well, why doesn't Michelle come up and we can see what the new direction is going to be and then we'll decide. Um, so she went up to Conde and yes. it was a no-brainer. So they just it was total a quick reset. Yes. Yes. Like I didn't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater kind of thing. It was more like a unifying all the kind of branding under one umbrella and seeing it through one lens. And that's kind of how I really approached it and then how I'm looking at it moving forward. So it was more cleanup than than anything else. We're hearing a lot about PR. I feel like you have a great PR team. And tell me if that's what's moving the needle in terms of sales, getting the placement um, on celebs, getting – is that still work? Is, is Us Weekly still working? What's driving sales? I th you know, I think it's a combination. I think it's, you know, what we talk about is like a constant drumbeat. Like, what are we doing day in and day out? It can't just be like you have one good article or you dress J-Lo. It's really like the sum of all parts. So spending a lot, Michelle spent a lot of time with our e-com team on, 
you know, updating the site, you know, down to like on the Instagram, what color is the circle, you know, for the different stories, you know, what does the font look like? How is the girl standing? So it's really like, I think all of those things, like what does the grid look like? How many times are you posting on stories? How much is product? How much, you know, it's really all of that. So the press helps. And I think, you know, there's like a sizzle to that. But it can't just be that because, yeah. look, you know, we have expensive things that we're selling. It's not like you swipe up and you're like, oh, I want that $2,000 dress. Let me go buy it. You have to have somewhere to wear it and you have to have the bank account to do it. So it's really, I think, a little bit of everything. And I think that's where Michelle's been so impactful quickly because she had her own business. You know, she's asking questions about the list size, you know, how we're sending out, you know, every every little detail. Um, you know, she's been through it. She's a business owner. So I think that has helped us, you know, move very quickly um, and, you know, make changes like that are impactful. We just actually had a, um, I'll brag about you for a minute. We had a, um, email, you know, every month we look at the emails, how much revenue did they generate? What was the click rate? Um, and we did one on, you know, Michelle's arrival and she was the highest grossing, um, and best click rate, um, for emails for the month. So, you know, people are interested to see what she's doing and what she's going to bring to the brand. Um, so like I said, it's the press, definitely helps, but it can't be just that. Yes. Tell me about, have you also attracted a new customer who maybe knew you from your brand before? But also, I got to ask because, you know, we talked about the economy and have you, has your customer become more mature? Because maybe this is the person we hear about the bulletproof, I guess, luxury customer or the older customer as opposed to a Gen Z. Anyway, who's your customer now? Yeah, I think one thing that's really interesting is Bloomingdale's um, shared with us, and this was maybe a year or two ago, but um, they did, you know, a study like brands, you know, across the entire fleet of stores. And we, Hervé Leger, had the widest age range of any brand. It was 15 to 70. Oh my gosh. <laughs> the 70 year old Yowza. So we cover everything from the girl that's going to homecoming to a mother of the bride. So it's really, you know, kind of interesting that we can service, you know, a lot of different customers. Um, I would say she's probably, you know, 35 to 50 um, is what we see. A lot of business in Florida, a lot of business on the coast. And then Texas is really kind of gaining popularity. We are running out of time. I've got five minutes. Oh, a couple more questions. How have you approached discounting? Is this something that maybe we're thinking about for holiday? Is this a big issue? Well, that might be a little bit of a rub. No, but no, no. Um, you know, it's tough. I think that, you know, it, you have to be competitive. I think that, you know, every retailer and brand has gone too far. I would love to get back to the days of, you know, you only break sale twice a year. I think the Europeans have it right. I'll never forget the first time I went to Italy. It was August. And August is when Italy goes on sale. I waited in line in Gucci for an hour and a half just to get in the store. And it was just so exciting. I spent $400 on a pair of shoes, which seems crazy. It was expensive. It was a long time ago. They're still in my closet. I'll never throw them, like, you know, never throw them away. But, you know, there was that 
demand and that like thrill that like you can only get it at this time. Now, I mean, we get dozens of emails every single day. I mean, even, you know, we were on the e-com call, like, you know, Michelle's like, how long does that 15% offer have to follow you around? You know, <laughs> like it's like stalking her every yeah. day. So, you know, I think that we try and be cautious. It's challenging not to do what other people are doing. You know, we have, like I said, we have a small mono brand site and, you know, Saks and Neiman's offer InCircle and Loyalist and whatever it is that they're offering um, that makes it tough for a small brand. Um, so we try and manage it best we can. Yeah. But I think as an industry, we have a lot of work to do. Right on. Michelle, do you want to comment on that? I feel like you're the... Um I don't know. You're so cool, Michelle. But um, <laughs> you're the um, cool, no, the cool police are like, anyway, you're like, as the creative director, like every element, it says something about the brand. Yeah. So you're revamping the creative in addition to, addition to the clothes. You, Melissa talked about the e-commerce site. Like what are the new standards? Like what needs a little zhuzh? Um, maybe that, or maybe wasn't thinking about, or maybe it just needed a little bit more of a, a push. The Michelle touch. The Michelle touch. I think, you know, unify, it, it, I, I say it's a exercise in branding. And I think, you know, with the resources here um, and having built a business from scratch, I think you learn over time how important storytelling is to branding, especially at this price point, um, you know, and, and telling that story sharing why the product is is what it's worth and and this is you know part of what we're saying is the reset or this cleanup is unifying all of that and telling this one story under one lens and and there's some of all parts it's looking at everything and i think you know the product to me has stood the test of time i mean there're not a lot of brands or you know that have been around for 30 years. I know the big mega brands, but like, you know, I think for some people, when they think of Hervé, it's like quick to write it off because they're stuck in this like one like bandage dress. That's it. That's all you do. It's one note. It's like this. And it, it there's so much potential. It can be so much more. But I will, I, I say that the look can be duplicated, but it can't be replicated. So, you know, we can all find a tight little stretch something, you know, see through. And I always say when I started my career, I feel like we were told immediately, like Bergdorf and Saks were like, we're not buying anything with the word elastane, nylon. They were in their Oscar days. It was taffeta, nothing stretched. You were like, you had to explain what a crop top was, like what a cutout was, high-waisted pants. I was told that high-waisted pants, like no one's going to wear pants with a crotch that long. Never, not going to happen. <sighs> Like, what do you wear a crop top with? We're like, great, there's these high-waisted pants that come with it. And I just feel like when I say it's full circle, like, I feel like the customer now has changed so much. I mean, social media, again, didn't exist when my career started. So it, it, I, it, she's so much more educated. Stretch has become a part of your everyday. And I think the brand's endured. The product has endured. We're modernizing the silhouettes. We're, you know giving it that edge, a little bit of that femininity. I, you know, want to see her more polished. And I think that's the perspective that I'm bringing to the, to, to what I want to do going forward. And I think that with that 
it, it, we're, we're now moving in the same direction. I feel like for a long time we were swimming against the grain it, in terms of my career, having to like educate a customer. And like, I remember, you know, people like would whisper, like we're wearing, I'm wearing like Spanx or I'm wearing this. Now it's like skims and now the inside's outside and I need more stretch or I'll wear two at the same time plus my dress or I, so I, or like, people didn't know before, like, what do I wear if I can't wear a bra? I mean, there's just so many things now. The rules have changed. And what hasn't changed is that the product, the quality, the stretch, what I love about it is that you could get something stretched, but then it's like see-through. There's like the right weight, the right amount of stretch. And I think there's just so much to do with it. And now I feel like you have to not educate your customers so much about like what stretches or it's in her life. It's in her activewear. It's in her underwear. It's in her jeans. It's yeah. Like, so I think it's the right time to kind of reset the brand and show some different silhouettes, give her more options, introduce ready to wear and, and outfit her for her life. And I think the styling perspective is really important, just seeing how Michelle wears a brand. So the, her second email, which did equally well, was like, you know, Michelle wearing the brand and like she's wearing like a fringe gown with a flat or she's carrying like a bigger bag. Like, you know, as I mentioned, sometimes you're like so kind of in something like, you know, we were always like heels and little bags and this evening slant. And she's shown like a different way. Like I'm wearing a kitten heel, which I never would have worn. <laughs> like I'm usually like in sky high heels, but like Michelle's styling it that way and she's wearing it. And I'm like, oh, that looks really cool, you know, or wearing it like with a white t-shirt. So I yeah. bought a great white t-shirt. So <laughs> she's just showing like a different side of the brand that I think looks modern and kind of has more end uses. Um, so that kind of like style guru um, and inspiring other people um, will bring a lot to, you know, how we showcase a collection, whether it's how we shoot for e-com or style it for the different shoots. I think that makes a big difference. Hashtag influence. Uh, um, I need to get on this email list. Like, what? It sounds really good. I know. My husband it. sent it to me. We didn't know. He took all the photos. He asked for photo credit. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Madison, let's add the photo credit. The husband. I'm waiting for my children to get old enough so I can, like, get that low angle. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you don't, you know, they're not really pointing at anything yet. Around so seven. 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 Two more years. I know, you know. You're so funny. Um, last question. 2024. What's coming? What can we expect? I mean, more collections, more expansion. I'm, I mean, I, we're, the anniversary is a big, big deal. Um, I think preparing for that and hopefully, you know, showing it in a larger way would be really great. Um, and, you know, just growing the brand. I, there's just so much to do. I mean, I'm like four months in. Yeah. <laughs> Um, there's so much to do. And I think my ready to wear background will really help, you know, influence that and build out that wardrobe for her. The bandage dress will always be there. It will be the pillar. It will be the staple. But I think there's just so much we can do and, and expand. And like, I have a lot of product categories in mind, but, um, we got to crawl before we walk. I noticed you're wearing denim, but we'll, we don't have to put you on the spot. (laughs) It would be amazing. Um, what about you, Melissa? Any other goals? 
you know, just continuing to grow the business. International is a big focus. Um, it's been our most rapidly growing segment of the business. Um, we go to Paris Fashion Week four times a year. And, you know, we just had a pop-up at Harrods, which was amazing and beautiful and drove a lot of business. So a lot of eyeballs over um, over there. And, you know, there's markets we still want to reach. So continuing with that expansion and then just seeing where Michelle takes us product-wise. Cannot wait. Well, you guys, this was so fun. We'll call it a wrap on the podcast. Thank you so much for being on. Let's give them a hand. That's all for this episode. Our theme music is by Otis McDonald. If you liked this episode, be sure to share it with someone else you think would. Thanks for listening to the Glossy Podcast.